Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. As we continue to enjoy our Christmas celebration, our celebration of Christ's coming, let us consider the mystery of Christmas. The mystery of Christmas, and in doing so, restore some of the wonder. I remember when I was growing up, we never had much, and Growing up in a Christian home, when it came around to Christmas, you know, I was taught that Christmas wasn't about being, as my gran would say, gravelicious. Wanty, wanty. <laughs> That's not what Christmas, so as a young child growing up, I wasn't watching the adverts as they came on telly saying, Granny, I want that, Granny, I want that. Every time an advert come on, Granny, I want that, because I knew what the answer would be. Wanty, wanty, can't get it, get it. <laughs> you want it, you want it, but you ain't getting it. <laughs> and yet there was always a, a certain wonder growing up. And I think to some extent, Christmas has kind of lost that wonder. And I don't think it's just because, okay, we're adults, you know, and we know that Father Christmas ain't about to make an appearance anytime soon. It's not because, you know, we've kind of got older and, and so things are more familiar. But I just think even for children, there's a sense in which for us as Christians, we may have kind of lost our way a little. Maybe in relation to what I was saying earlier with regards to the, the fact that, you know, Christmas, it's like we've been robbed of Christmas. Like the, 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 the advertisers and... The, the retailers and everyone else seems to have kind of laid their hands on Christmas and claimed it as their own. But we only know, we know there's only one, one source that that kind of robbery comes from. That's the devil. He has come to steal, kill and destroy. And his greatest aim and goal is to take glory from God. To take glory from God. And so maybe today as we reconsider and reveal the mystery of Christmas. There will be somewhat of a restoration of the wonder. Even for us as big people. Even for us as adults. That there will be a restoration of the wonder of Christmas in our own hearts. So let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we come before you today with much thanksgiving because you are faithful. You are good. And as we are here today, so many of us have had a very rough year, a very tough year. Some of us didn't think that we would make it through the year. Some of us have had an indifferent year and others... 
have had quite a rejoicing and a triumphant year of breakthroughs and great things happening. Nonetheless, we know that regardless, you are God who is unchanging. You are God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We appreciate that your love toward us is unfailing. And that the true meaning of Christmas and the true mystery of Christmas is to be as real for us today as it has ever been. We thank you for your unfailing love. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's one aspect of Christmas, and I guess it doesn't really matter how old you get. Um, there's one aspect of Christmas that still retains a certain degree of mystery. And I would suggest that, you know, at that time when you kind of receive a present. So it might be, you know, you might be in a workplace and they do the whole secret center thing. Anybody do secret center this year? And you got to go out. Some of you don't know what that is. You got to go out and um, like spend, buy something for five pounds for someone. And, and they're not to know who it's from. And then you kind of get together at your work dinner or whatever. And you kind of exchange gifts. Um, you know, people get their gifts with their name on it. And they don't know who it's from. And they don't know what's in it. And they're like, ooh, I wonder what this is. Mm. start shake it I wonder who it's from and there's a certain air of mystery there that is quite intriguing we see it in the eyes of children we've done our best to hide the presents if we've been able to buy any that is because that's a reality just to have food on the table for some people is a great gift and the children receive what they have and everyone's been sworn to secrecy so no one's supposed to know what it is and they're there wondering, you know, what's in this? What's, what's beyond this wrapping? And even us as big people, we, we have to admit, I'm sure, some of you would agree with me, there's a certain intrigue and a delight to that mystery of the gift in hand. And so as we consider the mystery of Christmas today, it's a cliche to say that Jesus is the reason for the season. That Christmas starts with Christ. It's a cliche to say that the real gift of Christmas is Jesus. We hear it all the time. But where's the mystery in the gift of Christ to us. And so I want to break it down. Four letters, gift. G-I-F-T. G-I-F-T. And the first letter is communicated to us in 1 Timothy 3.16. We're going to look at a few verses. If you have a Bible, you're, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. Some of the verses will be on the screen. But if you have a Bible, use your Bible. Because when you're looking for it, you want to go back to your Bible and find it. 
you know, you'll have a kind of visual recollection of where it lay on the page. First Timothy 3.16. And it starts by saying, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery. <laughs> you know what? The mystery in the gift of Christ at Christmas is a great mystery. It is a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He was manifested in the flesh. So what we're seeing communicated here is the great mystery of God becoming a man. And just that thought in itself causes us to have to wrestle with two of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. The triune nature of God and the deity of Christ. The fact that God could still be God and yet take the form of a man. Now, usually when it comes to Christmas, we're probably not thinking about things that hard. You know, for mums, it's okay. You already be strategically planning how this food is going to go. You know, okay, I'm going to be on my feet all day. And I'm looking forward to being able to get to that moment when the feet go up. Everyone's been fed and I can just kind of just chill. And so for you, the greatest mystery might be, when is that place going to, when, when am I going to get to that point in the day? Is someone going to help with the washing up? Ladies, can I get a witness? <laughs> you see? Things such as the, the deity of Christ and the, the triune nature of God won't readily come to mind. Maybe for that individual who, you know what, they've completed their degree, young professional, making their way through life a few years into their career, and they're making moves. They're making progress. They've got stuff. Christmas isn't, you know, they're past that stage of looking for gifts. And Christmas is, a, is that kind of obligatory time when, you know, all right, we're going to get together with family. And, you know, they say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, right? Family, right? And for some people, that's a very real issue. And that's on their mind. That plagues their mind when they think about Christmas. You know what? Certain uncles, oh, no. I know it's just going to be a problem. You're not married yet. Why are you not married yet? Have you bought your first house yet? And there's that consideration of, oh, my days, my family. Some even say to themselves, and I know none of you would admit this. You know what? My family's been here for like 
20 years, but they're still so fresh. My, my children taught me this phrase. Um, I hadn't heard it before. I kept hearing people saying, yeah, freshy, 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 fob. I said, I said, what's this? I said, I remember fab, F-A-B, Thunderbirds, fob was fresh off the boat. I was like, my word, is that how it goes now, did And you have certain young, upwardly mobile individuals are feeling like, oh man, my family are so fresh. Don't they know that we're in and just, you know, this is England. It's another culture. Kind of, you know, get with the program. And so considerations of the mystery of God becoming a man doesn't enter the mind. And yet still we realize that it is highly relevant to all of us, wherever we're at, whoever we are. It's an essential thing for us to consider and respond to. Because, listen, God became a man. And the reality is, I could probably stand here for a week, non-stop trying to explain it, and we will not understand it in its, in its entirety. One, because I probably could just never do any justice trying to explain it anyway. And yet still, even the greatest minds that have spent their whole life pondering the fact that God became a man. How does that work? And we have a sense of understanding that God became a man and yet was still God. Holding all things together. The universe didn't just fall apart at that moment. It wasn't a case of God kind of becoming a man and during his season of of manhood, he was just kind of very edgy because I'm not in my royal domain as God holding all things together and everything's, and so I better get this done quickly. That wasn't the case. And the reason why is that we understand throughout the progressive revelation of himself in scripture that God is a triune being. God is one being in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, one being, one nature, one essence, one substance. Now, I'm not going to hurt your head. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But this is one of those things that, however much we understand it, we recognize that it's in the scripture, and it's something that we receive by faith. Because the reality is, if God is God, we're not going to understand him. Otherwise, he's not God. If we've got God sussed, rationalized, figured out, computed, calculated, then he's not God. I said, don't worry if your head hurts just thinking about it. I see knotted brows like, 
Don't worry about that. Because he's God. And he's great. He's way beyond us. We couldn't comprehend him. If we, in fact, we couldn't know him if he had not revealed himself to us. He is God, the Almighty. Before anything was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God three persons eternally coexisting. Existing together eternally. When did the father become the father? He was always the father. See? I used to have an understanding that God became the father and the son became the son when Jesus was born of a virgin. But one of the key principles that helps us to even begin to try and understand God is the fact that God doesn't change. God doesn't change. And if it were true that that was the point when the son became a son and God the father became the father, then that would suggest that there would be a change in their relationship. He's the eternal father and he's the eternal son. The eternal spirit. Three persons and yet one. Now let me give you a brief illustration. There have been many illustrations to try and communicate the essence of the triune nature of God. And all of them are flawed. All of them are just insufficient. Some of them are a little bit helpful. The one that's quite commonly used, and some of you may have heard of it, is with regards to water, ice, and vapor. So if I was to say to you, what is vapor? What would you say? It's, it's evaporated water, yeah? If I was to say to you, what is ice, what would you say? It is frozen water. Now, do they have the same characteristics? Does frozen water have the same? If you were going to describe ice, would it have the same description as vapor? But are they the same thing? All right, then. What is, silly question almost, water? It's what? It's liquid. Yeah? Now, if you were going to describe the liquid of water... Does it have the same description as ice or vapor? It doesn't. All right. And so in that we see that they are all the same substance. And you can have ice, vapor, and liquid, water, all existing at the same time. And yet have different characteristics, but all be called water. Yeah? Yeah? And so in that, it's a flawed, it's, you know, every analogy breaks down somewhere. You know what I mean? But in a basic sense, we understand that they are the same substance in the same way that God the Father, 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are the same substance. As three different persons, they have different characteristics and different roles. But they have the same nature. They have the same essence. When you boil them down to the heart of what they are, they are the same. And that is what we understand to be God. They are divine in nature. And so, God the Son became a man. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Who sent forth who? All right. God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so from this verse we see the eternal nature of the son. That he existed as the son before he was born of a woman. Because it says that God sent his son. He was the son when he got sent. And he was born of a woman. And so the virgin birth is not what caused the son to become, but it was a means by which the son became. And that was the way that God chose it to be. Jesus was born of a virgin. And in being born of a virgin, in that instance... The Lord so ordained it that the, the, the Adamic line was broken. In Genesis, we see the prophecy in Genesis 3. That the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And the serpent would bruise his heel. And you don't have to be a biologist to really understand the fact that the woman carries the egg and the man carries the seed. And so even from the very beginning of creation, at the fall of man, we see God give the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, the seed of the woman. She was born without any male interaction, to put it politely. I should say she was, she conceived without any male interaction and Jesus was born. And so he became what's called incarnated. Now, when I was growing up, there was, I'm a, you could probably imagine by looking at me, I'm a guy that kind of likes food, right? And I used to love food, like properly love food. One of my uncles used to say to me, you know what, son, take time because you can't kill food. But it can kill you. <laughs> you know what it was? Can't kill Because I actually used to try every day. Kill the food. <laughs> the food will kill you first. <laughs> I used to love food. And there was, a, there was a meal that I used to love, right? Chili con carne. Hey. See, back in them days, I was really on a kind of English kind of thing. I never really used to know much about rice and peas and so on. I was living with my dad, and he didn't really know about that, that stuff. And so it was like goulash and chili con carne. And 
I'm spag ball. You know what I'm saying? Don't ask me about fritters and okra and uh, hard food. Weren't feeling that. So chili con carne was one of them ones that I did love. And um, <laughs> I don't, does anyone know what chili con carne means? The, the, the translation of that. Huh? Say that again. Chili with meat. Simple things, right? Chili with meat. Chili con with carne, meat. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Simples. Yeah. <laughs> Chili con carne. Used to have some red beans with it and some. Anyway, if you, you, dinner time soon come, don't worry. And so. When I first heard of the incarnation, I kind of knew it had something to do with meat or flesh. And the term incarnation basically means God in flesh. That God took on flesh. And when God took on flesh, it didn't diminish any of his divine qualities. He didn't lose any of his divinity and his godly nature but he took on flesh and had a divine nature and also a human nature same one person the son the second person of the godhead and this is a great mystery and over the years of church history since the coming of christ there have been guys who have been like yeah okay so what happened there? This God man. You see, the idea of a God man wasn't foreign. It wasn't an, an entirely new idea. So you think about Greek mythology. They had these myths and legends of, of the gods who have come down. What was that film that was on the other day? No, not even that one. I haven't seen that one yet. No, there was one from back like... No clash of the titans like, and it's been a, there's a there's been a bag of films isn't it like that they come and they try and re- reinvent these greek mythological characters and and it's quite interesting and so there was a concept among the people of the gods coming down and so when god actually came among us People took these concepts to try and influence how they viewed Christ. And so they said, well, he was half man and half God. Or he was a fusion of God and man. And that was the way that God chose it to be. Jesus was born of a virgin. And in being born of a virgin, in that instance, the Lord so ordained it that the, the, the Adamic line was broken. In Genesis, we see the prophecy in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. And you don't have to be a biologist to really understand the fact that the woman carries the egg and the man carries the seed. 
And so even from the very beginning of creation, at the fall of man, we see God give the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, the seed of the woman. She was born without any male interaction, to put it politely. I should say she was, she conceived without any male interaction and Jesus was born. And so he became what's called incarnated. Now, when I was growing up, there was, I'm a, you could probably imagine by looking at me, I'm a guy that kind of likes food, right? And I used to love food, like properly love food. One of my uncles used to say to me, you know what, son, take time because you can't kill food. But it can kill you. <laughs> you know what it was? Can't kill Because I actually used to try every day. Kill the food. <laughs> the food will kill you first. <laughs> I used to love food. And there was, a, there was a meal that I used to love, right? Chili con carne. Hey. See, back in them days, I was really on a kind of English kind of thing. I never really used to know much about rice and peas and so on living with my dad and he didn't really know about that, that stuff and so it was like goulash and chili con carne and um, spag bowl you know what I want to say don't ask me about fritters and okra and uh, hard food weren't feeling that so chili con carne was one of them ones that I did love and um, <laughs> I don't, does anyone know what chili con carne means the, the, the translation of that. Huh? Say that again. Chili with meat. Simple things, right? Chili with meat. Chili con with carne, meat. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Simples. Yeah. <laughs> Chili con carne. You still have some red beans with it and some... Anyway, dinner time soon come, don't worry. And so, when I first heard of the incarnation, I kind of knew it had something to do with meat or flesh. And the term incarnation basically means God in flesh. That God took on flesh. And when God took on flesh, it didn't diminish any of his divine qualities. He didn't lose any of his divinity and his godly nature. But he took on flesh and had a divine nature and also a human nature. Same one person, the son, the second person of the Godhead. And this is a great mystery. And over the years of church history, since the coming of Christ, there have been guys who have been like, yeah, okay, so what happened there? This God-man. You see, the idea of a God-man wasn't foreign. It wasn't an entirely new idea. So you think about Greek mythology. They had these myths and legends of, of the gods who have come down. What was that film that was on the other day? No, not even that one. I haven't even seen that one yet. No, there was one from back like 
Look, Clash of the Titans. Like, and there's been, a, there's, a, there's been a bag of films, isn't it? Like, that they come and they try and re- reinvent these Greek mythological characters. And, and it's quite interesting. And so there was a concept among the people of the gods coming down. And so when God actually came among us, People took these concepts to try and influence how they viewed Christ. And so they said, well, he was half man and half God. Or he was a fusion of God and man. Which neither of which are true. And the early church fathers said, look, you know what we got to do? We got to break this down clearly. And they had the Nicene Council. And they said, look. Jesus Christ is a hundred percent God, undiluted, unconfused, hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. Lived among us. That is a mystery. There has been more ink spilt. Over those two issues. The triune nature of God. And the incarnation. Than probably all the books you could read in your lifetime. And so when Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. We know that. He wasn't exaggerating. Great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifested in the flesh. He came. Why would God come? Why was it necessary that God would come? That God who made all things would purpose to come among us. Rather than just speak and have his bidding done. Rather than have angels do his will. God came to us, for us, to his glory. He came to us, for us, to his glory. You see, we had a problem. Our gift at this point is incomplete. We have God incarnated. But there was a huge issue. And that was our sin. And the only way we could be saved from our sin was for God himself to come and live among us. In 1 Timothy 2 verses 5 and 6 it says it like this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. 
who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, we needed a go-between because in ourselves and by ourselves, we couldn't connect with God. He's too great, too perfect, too holy. And we're too sinful. And God knowing our depravity because of the sin in our hearts. He said, look, you know what? I ain't ain't trying to send no one else to do this job. This is a job that I've got to do. I can't remember which action film it was. It was either Snipes, Wesley Snipes or... Samuel L. Jackson. And there's a classic moment in the film where they kind of just come through the door and it's like, huh, you don't send a boy to do a man's job. Start beating everyone up and getting the job done. And God was like, you know what? There is not a man on earth in in the whole of time that can do this job apart from I come as a man and do it myself. And such is the extent of God's love that he would take on the likeness. In Philippians 2 it says, take on the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful and he never sinned. But he had an earth suit just like ours. Ours. And although he was equal with God, he didn't think it robbery. He wasn't taking anything away from God. But he humbled himself to being born in a stable amongst the squalor. We kind of get these Christmas card scenes where there's nice pretty hay and candlelight and Listen, it was squalor. I heard um, certain Bible teachers when they've gone to Jerusalem and they've gone to Israel and they've gone to Bethlehem and they've seen the, the caves, just these rough, dirty caves, cold, damp, stinking, where the, the shepherds keep their sheep. Jesus was born in a feeding trough. He humbled himself to becoming a baby and growing as a child and becoming a man and all this time living a sinless life. And then at the end of it, he done so knowing that he would give his life. The children shared it earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so as a faithful mediator between God and man, Christ had to come and he gave himself a ransom. And have you seen that film Taken? That's the Liam Nielsen one, right? Because I know there's the other one with film and a half. Oh my gosh. A lie? 
listen, you've got some time off over the Christmas, right? You don't know what to watch. Look for that film. Taken. Listen. Anyone seen it? Am I lying? Am I exaggerating? Because you know, sometimes we can exaggerate up here, you know. (laughs) Evangelistic talking. That's why we say you must search the scriptures and see that it's so. (laughs) Be Bereans now. We don't exaggerate the truth. (laughs) But in the film, you see the guy's daughter gets taken. And now I'm a dad with daughters. And I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, oh, no, they didn't. Oh, if that was me. And I'm thinking, if that was me, I would love to be able to respond the way my man did I think I need to go and get some SAS training and that. So <laughs> See how Hollywood can mess you up. <laughs> but listen, his daughter was held. And it's not even that they were trying to ransom her to him and trying to get money out of him. They were trying to sell her as a sex slave. And you, we see all this stuff about sex trafficking and it's real. And it happens today. And um, you know what? The dad risked his own life. He risked his own life. To go and get his daughter. And we see that God became a man. And gave his life. That was the only satisfactory payment. That would meet the value necessary to ransom us from sin. Because we were held as slaves to sin. And through faith in the risen Christ, we can have forgiveness. You see, we know that the ransom was paid in full. And we were redeemed, as it said in Galatians 4. Redeeming us who were guilty under the law. Buying us out of slavery to sin. So that we could be free. And yet we see that. We were saved by God. For God. And from God. God saved us from himself. Because God is so holy that the payment for sin must be death. It must be eternal separation from him. Otherwise he's not just. His godliness is diminished. And yet in order to save us from his own wrath, he poured his wrath upon his son. He poured out the fullness of his anger upon his own son. So that we through faith in him could be forgiven. And that is the meaning of Christmas. And that is the reason why Christ came. And so forgiveness, our F, comes through Christ and Christ alone. And to all who believe, we give thanks. We give thanks for the gift of Christmas. For the goodness of God expressed in the giving of his son. 
And we recognize that in God becoming a man, we have a God who can, who's made himself relatable to us. We have a God who, it's not just a God who understands us. God, under, God knows everything. God already understood us. He didn't need to become a man in order to understand us. But he needed to become a man in order for us to understand him. For us to know that he understands. It says in Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children or humanity share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God is able to do all things, but it gives us such confidence in God's love for us in that he would leave heaven and become a man. And it would help us to relate to the God who's, who is so far beyond our understanding. And so we give thanks. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, the great mystery of Christmas is that the second person of the Trinity became a man and took upon himself the wrath of his father. The full weight of punishment for sin was poured out on him. Your sin, my sin, so that those who believe could have eternal life. And have great hope. Truly love came down. I'm going to ask the guys to come back as we close now. We end with a song. And so. During the course of this Christmas. As you sit down on Christmas day. Think about the great mystery of godliness. God being outworked among us. Think about the great mystery. The second person of the Trinity. Becoming a man. Not just so that we can eat Christmas pudding. Turkey, boiled ham. And whatever else may be on the menu. 
so we can enjoy giving gifts as well as receiving. But that we could enjoy eternal life. And truly it's a mystery. Truly it's beyond our understanding. Truly it's a wonder. That God in the form of man would live a sinless life. And die for the sins of the world. Paying the ransom. Redeeming us. Meeting the press. And the challenge is to you. Will you repent? And put your trust in Christ alone. As the only means of relationship with the Father. There's only one mediator. There's only one goal between. One advocate. That is the man Christ Jesus. You see that is the greatest expression of God's love for you. If you ever doubted that God loves you. You can look at the life, cross and resurrection of Christ. And know that God has given you a sure sign. A great gift. Packaged in Christ. Labeled love. Will you spurn his love? Reject his love? Or will you receive it by faith? Submit your heart to him and put your trust in Christ. Because that's what he calls us all to do. That we might truly enjoy the true gift of Christmas. Let's stand. redeeming us meeting the press and the challenge is to you will you repent and put your trust in Christ alone as the only means of relationship with the father there's only one mediator there's only one goal between one advocate that is the man Christ Jesus You see, that is the greatest expression of God's love for you. If you ever doubted that God loves you, you can look at the life, cross and resurrection of Christ and know that God has given you a sure sign, a great gift, packaged in Christ, labeled love. Will you spurn his love, reject his love? And will you receive it by faith? Submit your heart to him and put your trust in Christ. Because that's what he calls us all to do. That we might truly enjoy the true gift of Christmas. Let's stand.